Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Holistic Finance. I'm your host, Ryan Burklow. With me to my right is uh, a big Seattle Sander fan right now, Alex Collins. Yeah, I'm very giddy. MLS Cup is going to be here in Seattle November 10th. By the time you're listening to it, it's probably already happened. So uh, congrats on that. Very excited. Um, in today's podcast, we get... Um, it's a question of, you know, where should I be putting my money? Uh, you know, as NDs, as the cash flow starts to to be positive and, and they're growing their practice, um, they start to wonder, okay, how do I attack all the things that are on my mind around where should I be putting my money? Yeah, I mean, these are the questions that we get from somebody who's trying to figure out how to either start their own practice or they've, they're, they're a partner in a practice and they... They've just got, and we typically hear these four or five different things, uh, depending upon their situation. As far as like, how do what what priority level do I put on these things? They're all tied for number one. They can't all be tied for number one. How do I do this? Right, and so the five questions really that that we're getting is, how do I buy a home? How do I pay off my student loan debt? How do I buy into the practice or start my practice? Uh, you know, getting or, or pay off the loan or pay off the debt in the practice. Right. Um, how do I save for my kids' college? And how do I save for retirement? You know, these are five things that on. I mean, not just ND's minds; it's really Americans' minds, and they're not. They're all number one in my head, but I can't obviously attack all of them at the same time. Right. So the goal for today is to give you guys an example of a couple and then walk through how we would prioritize or help them prioritize what is the first, second, third, fourth, fifth thing to do. Yep. So so let's let's set the stage. Let's paint the picture for for everybody here. So we are looking at a 35 year old couple. Um, the 35 year old couple has has a young child. And, uh, one of the, one of the people in the couple is an ND obviously, and is looking at, um, really buying into a practice. Right. And so, uh, the student loan uh, debt is at 200,000 and let's just say it's a 7% interest rate on the student loan debt. And they're currently renting in Seattle and they're looking to buy, uh, their first home together as a family. It sounds like a very typical couple that we talk to. Right. So. Again, those five things, right? They're looking to buy the home, pay off student loan debt. How are they going to buy into the practice? How are they going to save for their child's college? And how are they eventually going to retire? Yeah. And Ryan is going to hate this answer, but the easy answer is it depends. And it does. You know, to be, I make fun of Alex because it, it, that is his answer. Everything is Because it he likes to analyze it because he <laughs> wants to know your exact numbers, and it, which is important. To, I'm making fun of him, and it's important. However, it's also important to look at, you know, prioritizing these things. And for you, the listener, 
watching us go through a priority level through this, I think will be valuable for you. So you can actually take a look back at your own situation and say, oh, okay, that does make more sense. And that, that does kind of lay the blueprint um, or starting point. Let's start yeah, there. Oftentimes exactly. I'm just starting. Where, how do I think about this critically? Where do I start thinking about it? And, and then ultimately asking the question of, can I do this on my own or do I need help? Yep. So, so let's attack the, these five here. So, um, you know, the first question we're going to ask with these five priorities is what's number one. And where we would typically start if, and most of the time we're, we're given the answer back of, well, Ryan, they're all priority number one. So what we would start with is really talking around buying the practice. So talk about how we're buying the practice. Is it we're taking over for someone who's exiting. Are we buying into a partnership or are we starting our own practice? Like those are the kind of the three routes that we typically see. And why are we starting with the practice, Alex? The reason being is because that is a cash flow question and it is outside the scope of where to put dollars because it has the potential for raising cash flow and making all of the rest of this easier. Exactly. The cash flow starts with the practice. Without the practice growing and your cash flow growing, it's going to be very difficult for all five of these to be attacked. Absolutely. So we would start there because that is going to have the most impact. And quite honestly, it's it's the biggest variable that we deal with in this because it greatly depends on which route we're going as well as what conversations we've had with the existing practice that we're either buying out or buying into. And by buying out, I mean somebody's retiring and we're taking over for the entire practice. Buying into is there's a group of NDs and we're buying into the ownership group of that uh, ND practice and becoming a partner. Okay. So where do we go from here? So really that's the first step is getting the details around buying the practice. So we'll take that off the, off the table, the next thing that we're taking a look at would be if we've already bought into that practice and we've got some debt outstanding with buying into the practice, you know, maybe there's a promissory note or it's being bought out over a period of time. The question often gets asked, okay, do I prioritize that in paying off debt? And where we'd analyze would be, okay, do we pay off student loan debt first or do we pay off practice debt first? And that question is really designed around what's the interest rate, what's the deductibility of the of the uh, the taxation of it and how quickly are we going to be able what's to What's the time frame? Yeah. Right. So if we're paying that $200,000 student loan, right, and a, a promissory note, that's the comparison. What's the, what's the timeline on the promissory note or or just the down payment maybe in to buy into the practice. So there's a couple of variables there. And then we got the interest rate seven percent versus whatever the promissory note is or right. whatever that is then finally taxation right do we get tax deductions on on these which which also goes into the cash flow those are things to consider as to which one to attack first right and, and in combination with that in built into what you talked about there is are any of the student loans smaller do we have a twenty five thousand dollar portion that might be able to be paid off earlier and so what that will do is it'll free up cash flow and allow you to, to recoup some of the, 
the cash flow that was going there and to distribute it elsewhere. So those that's how we take a look at, at that priority. In our example, with a 7% student loan, more likely than not, we're going to go towards paying off the student loan debt early. And with 200000 if it's all one loan, we're unlikely to be able to pay off that $200,000 student loan in a short-term meaningful time frame. And so as a result for this couple, the next priority after talking about buying into the practice is going to be buying a home. So let's, let's take a quick pause there because we did a bunch of conversation around the debt aspect and then we just jumped into the home. Essentially what we did, we started with the practice because that's what's providing the cash flow. Without that, you're not buying the home. Or you're not retiring, or you're not paying down None the of debt. The rest of this right, like that's number one. Okay, uh, so then we looked at okay, what should be number two, right? And then we were starting looking at the debt. We started looking at interest rates. We started looking at taxability. We started looking at time frame. In this example, two hundred thousand dollars. That's not getting paid off in one year. Probably not getting paid off in two or three years. Probably ten, maybe fifteen years. So because of that, we move on to probably not paying off debt rapidly especially if we're trying to purchase a home. Right. We're in an environment in Seattle where buying a home is incredibly challenging because of the the market that we're in, the cost of living. Now, the, there are there is some good news out there as well. And it doesn't have to be in Seattle, right? Like we work with NDs across the country. This goes into that situation. What is the situation? What does the real estate market look like? The example here is Seattle, though. It, exa- correct. 100%, Ryan. So... The good news is that right now interest rates are really fairly favorable, especially if we look at long time time horizons. I mean, if we go back to the 80s, like we were looking at double digit mortgage rates, that makes it a lot more expensive to buy a house. And one of the things that would change whether or not we're buying the house versus paying the loan. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It would also change like how much are we putting as a down payment, whole bunch of other factors. So in today's environment, we're re- the likelihood of buying a house outright, especially in Seattle, is very, very small. Like Chances are we're not paying cash. And so at that point, we're not buying the house for 500000 or 700000 or a million dollars. We're buying the house for whatever the monthly cash flow is. And so we're going to compare the monthly cash flow compared to what we're currently paying in rent. And is there a difference there? Is there a delta? If there is... We need to make sure that we're saving at least that amount because when we buy the house, we need the amount that was going towards savings to then go towards housing. We've talked about this in earlier podcasts. Our goal is to not have any more than about 20% going to housing. And it starts out, you know, let's just be, let's be honest here in Seattle. It's probably going to be higher than 20% oh, for your 25, first home. 30 but over, over the time horizon of, of one's life, it will dip into the 20% range because income typically goes up, the mortgage goes down, refinancing. So I just want to make sure that people don't get freaked out when you said 20% knowing where we live. Right. And for those people that really like their house is their most important thing, great. Spend more so long as it doesn't impact your ability to save, your ability to protect your income. Right. There's a difference in house poor and what I mean by house poor is you're not saving any money. You can't really do a lot because all of your money is going to pay the mortgage. Right. So once we've, and then there's an entire 
conversation around how much to put down, when to put down, things of that nature. That is a, an entirely different conversation that we're not going to dive into today. But the goal is to get to the point where we have choice and flexibility on when we buy and how we buy. Generally speaking, in today's environment with interest rates where they are, we're not a huge fan of putting down a ton of money uh, as a down payment. Again, we can be talked into it. There are certain circumstances that it makes sense, but in general, we're not huge fans of that. So now the next question is, okay, what's more important between saving for retirement and saving for kids' college? And let's not confuse this. It's We're not going to say that college is more important or retirement is more important because th that is a deeply personal question. What we're going to answer is which one makes more sense to save for. And so when we talk about this, the question becomes, okay, which one of these things comes first? Usually kids' college comes before retirement. The next question becomes, okay, can we use saving for college for retirement? And the answer is maybe. It depends on what vehicle we're using. Can we use retirement savings towards kids' college? And again, the question is yes, depends on the vehicle and depends on the time horizon and, and a couple other factors. But the fact that we can save for retirement and use that for kids' college, for example, a Roth IRA can be used for higher education. Now the question becomes, okay, which one of these two things can we fund with debt? Not optimal, for sure. Which is a tricky conversation because we're talking about an ND that has already $200,000 of student loan debt. They're about to buy a, a house, which is a mortgage. And now we're saying, oh, well, now let's think about more debt in your child's college. Don't twist that up and saying we're, we're saying let's add a bunch of debt. It's looking at priority levels and how do we make it as efficient as possible. And what Alex was about to get at here, um, I'm about to steal your thunder. Uh, I'm used to it. <laughs> is your debt can't pay for your retirement. So L literally can't literally can't. So when it comes to priorities, right? Like you need to be saving for retirement. You could actually go into debt for your child's college. Yeah. Again, it, it, suboptimal and not the way in which we would want to do it. But when we're trying to prioritize one over the other, well, one of these things can get funded with debt and therefore it becomes lower on the priority level. And again, some of the savings into retirement vehicles can be used for retirement. And so, again, as a result, we would go ahead and have a tendency of putting retirement ahead of college. Is that an always hardened stone? No. Like very, very little of what we actually do is set in stone. It's all based on individual situations. And, and like most of the time we're, we're saying, OK, well, let's put, you know, $500 here and $200 here, and we're putting more dollars towards A than B because of all these different factors. Right. I, I think, well, I don't think I know, this gets overwhelming for NDs because they're thinking, okay, I want to buy a house. I want to plan for retirement. I want to buy into the practice, right? Like I want, I want, I want. And it gets overwhelming because, you know, we're trying to break it down for a priority and they're trying to say, well, I can't put money everywhere that I don't have. 
you don't have to do it today. Correct. And that's the thing that you got to get through your head is none of this is happening today. It's all about creating a plan that has enough flexibility to adjust to what you're trying to accomplish in the future and then making sure that we've got an idea as to, okay, what is the proper priority level to put on A, B, C, D, and E for your individual situation? Exactly. Because in in the example we're giving, it's a 35-year-old couple. They've got a long life ahead of them still here, right? And so they're at the aspect of buying their house, that we've pushed it up in priority just because of student loans and, and the time frame that that's sitting there. And as the income goes up, we can still, it's not that we're not going to tax student loans at a later point. And they're wondering, well, I got to pay for my kid's college and I got to worry about retirement. Like it gets overwhelming again, baby steps. Let's put money in a savings account. Let's buy the house Right. Let's obviously got to pay the the debts, you know, the, the minimum payments on the debts. But if we're talking about put making extra payments, those are the dollars that we have some flexibility with. And so in this particular situation, we've put priority number one on buying the practice, priority number two on buying a home. And when we take a look at buying a home, like what we're going to do is figure out, OK, what is the minimum amount that we need? to be able to buy the home that we're looking for. And you know, if we're buying a I don't know, an $800,000 house and we decide, okay, hey, we need to make sure that we've got 10% down. Um, and we're not saying we're making a 10% down payment, but we need closing costs plus uh, a 3 to 5% down payment because that gets us to the right monthly amount. Well, again, that's an entirely different podcast. That would mean that we need $80,000. Okay, if we need $80,000, let's say that we've got, and I'm going to make the math work out easily for me here, let's say we've got $56,000 in our emergency reserve already saved. Well, that means we've got $24,000 to go. That means that what we're doing is, at a minimum, if it's available to us, we want to save $1,000 a month for the next two years because that gets us to our goal of $80,000. We need to make sure that we're building in things like, hey, is that $800,000 going to cost more in two years? So there's more that goes into that calculation, but that's just an easy way to, to, to think about it. Right. And again, it's baby steps, right? So we're building towards buying the house. We've got our practice that we've bought into, right? After we've bought the house, cash flow is changing, hopefully in the right direction, right? Our income starting to go up. And then maybe we start to think about, okay, let's take a certain percentage and put it towards retirement plan. Let's take a certain percentage and start overpaying on some of the debt. Mm. Now the plan is starting to really kind of work itself out. And then another five years passes. The cash flow has gone up a little bit more, right? Then we could take even more so and maybe throw a chunk of it at more of the debt or some of the kids' college planning. Like the, the point that I'm getting at here is we've got a lifetime – not a lifetime, but we have more than one year to actually plan for all this. And it's not all going to happen in one year. So you have to have what's step one, let's get there. Then let's go to step two and having, hopefully with your spouse, having these conversations to kind of build out this blueprint and the blueprint's not going to like, it's going to change. You might have kid number two. (laughs) (laughs) You might have twins. Who knows? Right. Right. 
We, the only thing we know about the future is it's going to change. And so the goal here is to try and give you tools to be able to think about it dynamically and think about it as from a standpoint of like, okay, why would I want to do A versus B? So if we've decided that buying the practice is number one for this couple, buying the home is number two, now we're back to do we pay off student loans or do we save for retirement? And that might not be an either or. It might be a, hey, we've got a thousand bucks. How do we allocate it between these two things? And really where we'd go back to is what's the expected rate of return that we have on our retirement funds? What is our guaranteed rate of return by paying off our student loans early? Do we get any benefit from our employer? Do we get a match? If we're the if we're if we are our employer, the answer is no. And then we need to take into account any tax circumstances of like, okay, do we get a deduction today? Do we get a deduction tomorrow? And what does that look like? In this particular situation with a 7% student loan, in all likelihood, we're going to put the vast majority towards paying off that student loan ahead of retirement savings. Now, we still want to have some dollars going to retirement savings because in all likelihood, it's possible. Heck, if we look at the recent past, if we're in a predominantly equities portfolio, which a 35-year-old would likely be in, not for sure, but likely, then the rates of return that the market has been driving have been significantly over a 7% rate of return. Yeah, it could be they bought the building that the practice is in from a real estate standpoint for retirement or cash flow during that time. So um, the point is, is prioritizing this today as to where the priorities are and having a plan of attack for what is the next priority at the given point at that given time, because your example you just started going into wasn't the day after they bought or wasn't prior to them buying the house. Right. Right. It was maybe maybe not even the day after they bought the house. It might be a year or two years after they bought the house to begin that. We, we just don't know. It might be today. Right. We just don't know. But the point is, is looking at and talking with your significant other as to, OK, where is the priority? How does the cash flow implications work and how do we build towards that? Not that we have to solve that today. <laughs> right. The And. Again, we, we talked about it earlier. The only thing we truly know is the future is going to change. And so while this is the right way of looking at it for today, if you change any of the variables, if like interest rates go back into the 14% range for a mortgage, well, the way in which we're talking about the mortgage today would change dramatically. If the student loan debt is variable and the rates spike, that changes the the way in which we'd think about it. So all of this stuff is based around looking at it from a priority level, given a certain set of circumstances. And what we want to do is provide you the tools for, okay, how do we think about it and how do we look at it? And if the rates of return are equal, but we expect a 7% rate of return out of our retirement accounts and our student loan debt is at 7%, well, I'd rather have 100% guaranteed rate of paying off the student loan debt than the, hey, I expect to get seven. Right. So we've said a lot today. Um, we're hoping the takeaways are understanding the priorities in these top five things and understanding, looking at it holistically, 
right? Like when we're talking about t- paying down the debt and what debt look, bringing in taxation and rates for, or interest rates and whatnot. And then finally, really understanding, we understand that it can be crippling to think about all these things. I mean, just a student loan piece alone can be crippling because that is not a, that's not chump change. However, knowing that you've got some sort of plan that's not solving for it today, but will be solved for as time goes on is really the, the bulk of the battle there. So those are the takeaways we hope you took away today. Um, as always, um, feel free to reach up out to us on, uh, on our website, go to holistic-finance.com and you can reach out to us there. Um, please uh, rate us on however you're, you know, whatever you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast. And uh, we hope you found this valuable today. Make it a great day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Universal Life Insurance may lapse prematurely due to inadequate funding, low or no premium, increase in cost of insurance rates as the insured grows older, and a low interest crediting rate. This does not apply to Universal Life policies, which have a secondary guarantee. But if the secondary guarantee requirements are not met, the policy will most likely lapse. All whole life insurance policy guarantees are subject to the timely payment of all required premiums and the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Policy loans and withdrawals affect the guarantees by reducing the policy's death benefit and cash values. Some whole life policies do not have cash values in the first two years of the policy and don't pay a dividend until the policy's third year. Talk to your financial representative and refer to your individual whole life policy illustration for more information. Dividends are not guaranteed. They are declared annually by Guardian's Board of Directors. Policy benefits are reduced by an outstanding loan or loan interest and or withdrawals. Dividends, if any, are affected by policy loans and loan interest. Withdrawals above the cost basis may result in taxable ordinary income. If the policy lapses or is surrendered, any outstanding loans considered gain in the policy may be subject to ordinary income taxes. If the policy is a modified endowment contract, loans are treated like withdrawals, but as gain first, subject to ordinary income taxes. If the policy owner is under 59 and a half, any taxable withdrawal may also be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty. State creditor protection for life insurance policies vary by state. Contact your state's insurance department or consult your legal advisor regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. 
Securities, products, and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-90268, expiration 11-2021.